to the Disney Animated Cannonball, the podcast where a Disney fan of sizable girth and a media nerd who grew up in a cult watched the entire Disney Animated Canon. I'm your host, Fox Lee, she, her. And Talon Lee, he, him. And what did we watch this episode, Talon? We watched 2001's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Oh boy, that sounds like a great time. We will have a fight. <laughs> Like our opinions of this might be fairly in line with one another. There's an old aphorism about Catholics uh, where the church is any given Catholic's drunken uncle. Which is to say, you recognise all of his flaws and you never want him to show up at your family gatherings and you always complain about him. But the second someone outside the family <laughs> says something about them, then you got to get involved because it's your family. He's I your see. uncle. I see. And I can say, from the depths of my heart, that this movie is probably dog shit. But I love it anyway. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess there is a bit of a gulf between us then. Yes. Let's explore that space. Before we can get exploring, we must first define the space. With a 60 second se- summary of the plot. Oh god, it's my turn. No, it's not. No? It's mine. I did last week. Oh, sweet. Alright, off you go then. Yeah, you had Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Which wasn't that hard, because nothing happened. Yep. In this case, give me a marker. (laughs) Alright, I'll count you in. Go! 8,000 years after the intro, Milo, a nerd, believes in Atlantis because his granddad did. Other people don't. But a rich person believes in Atlantis because of that granddad. The rich man finds his expedition to find Atlantis, which does validating the granddad. Atlantis does not make any sense and has some really unfortunate racist implications. Turns out one of the people there to explore Antlers are in fact bad, so our plucky hero characters have to stick together in defiance of their orders and not do what the bad people want. A chase scene, an explosion, the end. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that's more or less correct. Now moving on from the plot summarised in way less than 60 seconds, (laughs) we have the double take. Hey Fox, any, uh, any opinions on this movie changed since the last time you watched it? Uh, well, I mean, my, uh, this is not a film that I have watched a great many times, though I do believe this might be the first Disney movie we went to see together. Yes, in cinemas. There you go. We have entered the era of Fox and Talon being a couple. And also this, when we went to see this in the cinemas, I was, in fact, I had my hair cut short and dyed blonde (laughs) in top, and I was wearing a big green greatcoat. Well, part of the reason I wanted to go see this is because the main character looked like you, yes. Uh, nowadays, I'd take yeah. that as an insult. Yeah. The shine did come off a bit in retrospect. I have notes. <laughs> Listen, the design kind of works, but like, oh boy, did they overdo angular and uh, and stretchy mm-hmm. in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone's design is like 90% of the way to being really good. And uh, then the other 10% is like... Why do your eyes have edges like that? I, we'll get into that later on when we get further into the animation and making. I, I, I do think this movie looks really good, and I like, I like the consistency of its aesthetic, even if I don't like the aesthetic itself perfectly. Oh yeah, but as to as to things where my opinion has changed, well, I guess the real difference is that I'm a lot more sensitive to the race stuff this time <laughs> around. Yeah, because <laughs> we were what, maybe seventeen? Uh, we'd be eighteen. Right. Yeah. Wait, young and naive. Ah, uh, yes, to be young and naive and very white. <laughs> yeah, I don't miss it. Uh, I mean, we're still very white, it's just we're not quite as naive about that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's better that way. Um, yeah, and, uh, like, we did this with you and Pocahontas, where there is <laughs> there is some of that that's written on you. I don't think it's quite the same depth for me. But the stuff that this movie likes and wants to be about, even if it's not actually about it, <laughs> uh, is stuff that I, you know, I love very dearly. Yeah, I, I don't 
remember you being that into it at the time. No. I feel like you've come to like this movie a lot more in retrospect, while at the same time becoming more aware of its flaws as well. Yeah. What's that you say? You hear the slow, steady creaking of the yikes door? <laughs> Creak it does. Alright, where do we want to start on this one? How, how, do we want to, how do we want to tear up this particular problem? Well, I mean, there's a big old elephant in the room. This ultimately turns out to be a white savior narrative. Yep, it does. And in order to do that, it, it just... Whew, the, the Atlanteans are a swirling pot of yikes. There's a lot of different ways in which they're yikesy. Uh, so, I realize we start from the baseline of uh, black people with white hair, which is yeah. a questionable aesthetic. I don't have a huge problem with it, because to me as a character designer, it reads more like I'm trying to be explicit that this is not a real-world ethnic group. So, here's the problem with that. When you are constructing our, a, a culture, especially a culture that is meant to not be someone in particular, you are going to bring with that your own sets of biases and your own frameworks. And it would be very hard to argue that the Atlanteans, who are meant to be nobody off the coast of Iceland, have a lot of aesthetic overlap with Mesoamerican designs. And as a native population, the manner in which they are presented in harmony with the land and all that is very much a settler view of the Native Americans. Yeah. Which is what you'd get if you asked an American to come up with a fake uh, Native culture and they had one idea and didn't go any further. <laughs> Well, it's true, and the accents are, are exactly that kind of thing as well. These... Right, we can go into that too. That's, yeah, that's actually super interesting. Um, but the Atlanteans are an American creation of an idealized, deracialized native population that just happens to rhyme almost perfectly with the populations they themselves obliterated. So it, it, it it's, it's awkward. You're not wrong. I just don't lay that at the feet of dark skin, light hair. No. Like, that's a description of the much bigger issue at work here. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's not any... Well, that thing, none of it is one specific thing. And, like, yeah, it, it's it's a country that's supposedly off the coast of Iceland, and it uses fish iconography and everything. Have you ever seen Icelandic money? They got fish on everything. It's It's absolutely, like, there are things where they have clearly gone outside of just the existing reference pool, but that makes it sound seem all the more obvious that it is we started from a native culture and the a native culture we started with was the American, Mesoamerican uh, continents, uh, uh, collections. This does look astonishingly like Road to El Dorado. Uh, yes. With the different palettes. Uh, I... For what it's worth, I did not look at the fish and think island. I looked at the fish and thought, why are they covered in ocean themes uh, when supposedly all this stuff is from before they were under the ocean? Oh, it's thematically resonant, I guess, whatever. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, there are, in fact, um, native populations around Iceland. I don't know what the Sami people are like in Iceland, but I do know that Iceland is part of that connected set of cultures in Finiscandia. And uh, yeah, there, there's a, there is a native population there who are not the dominant culture right now. And, you know, it's kind of weird that I didn't get to see a lot of similarity there. Well, this is extremely not them. And yeah. I mean, the whole idea of Atlantis is incredibly Greek to begin with. So. Well, no, Atlantis is American. This is, this is a real historical fact that Atlantis, as she is understood now is the byproduct of one American weirdo who owned a newspaper company basically trumping it up and getting this one passage from Plato's books uh, you know, treated as if it was literal, even though there are multiple fake well, made-up okay, cities. Okay, okay. Yeah, th this, this is one of the things. Like, this particular era of Nazi archaeology... Ooh, yeah, we went there real quickly. Uh, but ideological archaeology was the thing in the period, ironically, that this movie is set. And that's a period where you had a lot of people with money who went around with a pickaxe in one hand and a Bible in the other 
going around to find what ruin they could that would be ah. their thing that was like, yes, look, we, we've proven the Bible. Um, or, or this is drawn from this biblical story. And because of that, you have Atlantis, which is perceived as like the, the idea of let's, let's treat Atlantis as if it's a real place that we can actually go is a, is a idea that happened because one American guy had the money to make that a mainstream idea. Okay. If you go back 45 years before the time period this movie is set, Atlantis was not a thing. People were sitting around going, ah, yes, maybe one day we'll find the ruins of Atlantis. It's wild. Okay. So the idea of it, uh, sorry, I, I'm listening to you and going, that doesn't match up with what I've heard, but you're talking about specifically the idea of like, Atlantis still existing. Yes. And, and the idea of like, oh, we just have to find it. And... Yes, sorry. Uh, okay. A better okay. way to express it would be yeah. Atlantis as archaeology is American. Atlantis as Greek myth metaphor? Yeah, that's Greek. It's just... Okay, okay, yeah. Atlantis is lost kingdom. Yeah. Rather than just place that got destroyed. Rather than obvious metaphor for why everyone needs to stop being mean to me personally. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that the whole hubris... I mean, obviously the hubris thing would have appealed to Christians trying to mm -hmm. uh, 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 harmonize this into their mythology, but... Uh, at last check, that wasn't so much part of the original idea, uh, so much as it was just like, well, they, they got fucked. Well, they I, weren't us, so nobody cared. They much. worshipped the wrong gods. Right, right. And Plato's original story had them as effectively Egyptian, and everyone was like, why are they worshipping Greek gods? And he's like, well, I was translating from Egyptian. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 oh, it is a made-up fantasy That's story. That's what I thought I remembered, yeah. Yeah. It's just... The idea of this one metaphor in this one book, and there are multiple other things like this, being treated as a real place is a byproduct of that particular ideological archaeology from that particular period, which is why also um, the uh, uh, the Nazis loved this stuff, and they had a thing that they similarly believed in called Ultima Thule, <laughs> which was like... Less catchy. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what it's like in German. Um, but Ultima Thule was meant like they they had a whole mythology about it. Ultima Thule was like the the birthplace of the Aryan and it's the it's the last vestige of our right. ancient civilization and whatnot and it like Ultima Thule is the it is on Roman maps it literally means the furthest point the, it it's yeah. just it's the point it's the way you mark this is the edge of the map and the Nazis whomped that into the idea of no Ultima Thule is a place and we're from there. <laughs> Ideological archaeology is a whole thing, obviously, with the cult background. Young Earth creationists are still doing that. I have... My godfather was, at one point, captured by Turkish separatists because he was on Mount Ararat trying to find Noah's Ark. <laughs> oh. And uh, did he inspire you as a young man to become an archaeologist? Uh, wait, no shit. That's another story. Jokes aside... When he came back from that, he was the fittest he'd ever been. And I honestly had as like this slightly dumpy, unimpressive kid of like, oh, I should get captured. I'd be really fit after that. Mm. <laughs> we, we do weird things to kids' brains in churches. And also, you know, it was a great trial of his faith. It was so very impressive and he came through it okay. Although, weirdly, I knew a lot of people who also thought he was an idiot. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. He got on the telly. <laughs> Anyway, so... Sure. Well, uh, we may as well coast from there into the next most obvious bit of the Yikes store, which you've already touched upon a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Which is this movie is uh, a, a period piece, it turns out. 1914. Not 1919. 1914. I was 1914, wrong. 1914, right. So, so we are marginally before World War One. Yes. Like, a year or so before. Measured in less than a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's about to really crack off. It is. I can only assume that this means we are here seeing another alternate timeline uh, where these people did, in fact, uh, use their knowledge to, I don't know, stop millions of people from dying. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they didn't. Because, like, all of these people here are marginalized Americans. So, well, except Cookie. Um, so, really, they might have just gone, well, fuck it, we don't care. I, hmm... I don't know. Marginalized becomes a bit ambiguous for some of them. It's true. Also, I'm pretty sure the dynamite guy is Russian. No. No? No. 
uh, there's no way he's Russian. Like I, they, they might they might say he's Russian, but there's no way that that character is Russian. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm going off the accent and uh, well. I was gonna say and the name, but I've forgotten his names. <laughs> That's gonna become a running theme in this fucking movie. <laughs> this doesn't belong in the Ike store, but there are too many characters in this movie. Please delete three. Fox, I, I just want to remind you that the character's name yeah. is Vincenzo Vinny Santorini. Ah, okay, so he's Italian. <laughs> I think he might not be Russian. Right, fine, fine. He's got a weird accent. Well, I mean, he's played by an Italian-American. So, I don't know. Look, I'm not going to tell them how to do their business. Anyway, um, bonus. Uh, the, uh, the Yikes Door element. The kind of character Milo is was pretty cool in 2001. And now, <laughs> he is one of the worst kind of people. I don't know. Okay, like, he's still, on paper, he's still kind of cool. Mm-hmm. They took every opportunity to make him an asshat for some reason. Like, are we supposed to not like him that much? We was... Well, this is the thing. Remember how we said that uh, uh, Oliver and Company is an accidental time capsule of what fashion and style was like in 1981? This is... 1989? This is the same thing for types of guy. Milo is a Disney formula processed, refined endpoint of... The types of 90s guy. He's academic and he's skinny and he doesn't have to be physically imposing. So he's not threatening and he's really awkward and nice and shy and funny. And also he's got a specialized interest and he's an academic outsider and he doesn't believe in what the man tells you to believe in. And he just needs people to have faith in him and trust in him. He's, he's like they took Fox Mulder and Dawson and melted them together. And what you got out of it was something that looks more like Paper Jam Dipper. I was going to say that he was kind of like Mulder, yes. And The Shine has definitely come off that archetype. But that's... I, I'm not even talking about that. Like, I, I'm still okay with all of that. I mm -hmm. still like nerds. Yeah. Um, What I don't like is that, like, multiple times they have him, like, show up other cast members. Yep. And he's not polite about it. He, like, suddenly becomes a swaggering douche. And he does this to his love interest more than once. Like, yeah. He just, he is always doing that, ooh, better puff myself up to look like I'm a cool ladies man. Fuck off, mate. That's meant to be. We didn't like that in the 90s either. Well, that's the thing. That, sure, no, you didn't, but we weren't listening to women in the 90s. <laughs> we were listening to focus groups of guys uh, telling us what they remember their girlfriends saying sure. in the 90s. Look, that kind uh, of moment of puffed up of like, hey, 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 that's meant to be funny. It's meant to be charming because yeah. it's meant to juxtapose, hey, look, here's how terrible he is at being a real man, but he's still got that drive to be. He's, you know, he still could be the thing that you specifically want him to be, but we're not going to commit too hard to having him be in case you're not actually into that. Ugh. It's, it, I don't want to hate this character, but he is terribly made. Yeah, he's, he's extremely tedious in retrospect. I didn't hate him the first time, but I kind of hate him now. Yeah. And, like, I even for the the moments where it's like, okay, we gotta show him, you know, sort of proving himself to the group or whatever, but why must we do it in such an asshole way? Yeah. Why must we do it by showing up one of the women in this show who's competent and excellent at her job? Yep. And we almost never get to see being good at her job, incidentally. That's a weird thing to, to put in there. There are basically five characters he does this with. To some extent or another. You have Sweet, the cook, Mole, Vinci, the mechanic girl whose name I am afraid I've forgotten, and Keena. There you go! I have also forgotten her name. I yeah. keep thinking of her as Rosie, but that's not her name. No. And, and she's awesome, by the way. I love her. I think that... I, I, she is. Sucks that she never gets to do the job she's apparently incredible at. Yeah. And that's the thing in this narrative where when he stands up against Mole, he has to get bailed out by Sweet's. When he stands up against Vince, he just loses. It's just funny. And that's okay. But when he stands up against uh, the mechanic and when he stands up against Kida, it's, you know, funny and lighthearted when he's competent at the thing they're meant to be good at. And when it comes to Sweets, broadly speaking, Sweets just shoves him around. It's great. But the second, 
sorry, yeah. But the second suite needs direction. He goes, well, what's the white guy think we should do? Which again, in, oh God, this whole thing's behind the yikes store. This whole movie's behind the yikes store. <laughs> it's not even, uh, what does the white guy want us to do? It's just that at that moment, uh, well, it's just that the character's function from that point on in the movie is to reinforce our main character, which happens to take the role of, of you know, giving wise advice and support to our scrawny white douche. Mm-hmm. Which is really funny, because it... I have more notes on this later, but if you took Sweet as the main character of this movie, he fucking rules! <laughs> like, he is he very is, cool. He is an action hero, he is got this man of multiple worlds thing going on. He has a huge skill base. Why is Milo important? Just get Sweet to do all the same shit. Oh. It's not every day you see a black biracial character in a Disney movie. Yeah. And, oh, what's that? There's a there's a whole thing about how you need this knowledge of an ancient root language that might not have been corrupted over time to be able to communicate with the Atlanteans. Well, I wonder if there's any examples of those <laughs> that one might be able to find. <sighs> You'd be saying the quiet part out loud at that point. Here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. This is this is an element from the Yikes door that comes from the production notes. Which is... Don Hahn, the producer of this movie. Quote, The directors often describe the Atlanteans using Egypt as their example. When Napoleon wandered into Egypt, the people had lost track of their once great civilization. Whoa! They were surrounded by artifacts of their former greatness, but somehow unaware of what they meant. Yeah, see, I, I was gonna move on to what I consider to, like, we've seen some yikes, we've seen some more yikes, are you ready for the biggest yikes, though? Because this whole pitch, once they get to Atlantis, is predicated on the idea that these people have forgotten their own culture, which is a realistic thing that could happen after a huge calamity like that. But probably not if a bunch of people have survived from then until now with a solid line of continuity. Kida is a child when the city gets sucked under the water, and there are she's one of the youngest people we see among the Atlanteans, implying that there were shitloads of people who are already adults with full awareness of their own culture. And they just kind of forgot about it. Everyone forgot how to fucking read for some reason. Over 8,800 years, she never learned to read? She no, Not from <laughs> anyone else who was here. And okay, maybe you're going to say uh, not everyone lives that long because they do say the crystals grant longevity. So you're like, okay, maybe it's just her and her dad who are, are the survivors of the original Calamity and everybody else has had multiple generations to forget this stuff. But why didn't he teach her how to read? Why didn't they teach everyone how to... Why didn't they maintain this line of continuity? Also, just putting a pin there of, like, maybe it's just the two royals. Why? What What does that get us? What, what narratively speaking, is enabled by them being 8,000 years and no one else being 8,000 years? But also, what's enabled by these characters being 8,000 years? Well... Mystical specialness of the royal blood would be the answer to that, which they do already use, so... And this will come up later. Yeah. <laughs> Not without its own yikes. This whole thing is reliant on the idea that these characters are 8,000 years old and that there is some reason for them to be 8,000 years old while also needing to have this level of what we would refer to as cultural loss. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, cultural loss happens. We know it happens, and we know it can happen remarkably quickly, but it happens because of intrusion <laughs> it of culture. When you get colonized. And it happens when people who know things fucking die. It's the opposite of what happens when you get isolated in a cultural bubble for a thousand years. In fact, if you become isolated in a cultural bubble for eight thousand years right? with at least one person who can consistently provide you with information across the whole unit of that. You are absolutely going to get the opposite of cultural loss because suddenly you have one person who is able to provide as an arbiter, as an information point for all of this stuff. What you're going to get is this one person recreating culture in their own image, not as an ignorant wanderer who's like, well, I don't know what these symbols mean. I I want to check the time now because I was thinking it was 880 years. Yeah. But no, it's 8,800 years. Isn't yes. It? That's so much dumb. Milo, Milo says, you'd be like 800, and then he corrects himself and like, thousand! 
And like some people interpreted that in, you know, I've looked at critical reception. Some people thought that meant that he was like, you'd be 800 years old. No, a thousand years old. Was like, no, she's 8,800 years old. She I is, thought he said 8,800, yeah. yeah. She is 8,800 years old. And so is her dad. And they are both, even if they are the only Atlanteans who have lived that long, yeah. which is stupid. I mean, it, even if they are, there's no reason to have lost any of that knowledge when they've had 8,000 years to share it with everyone. At that point, it's like, well, why did you to why did you specifically choose to withhold mm. everything you knew about your people and lead them to what is apparently a state of decay? Also, you were just the worst fucking king for no reason. To just dismantle that quote about that reference point where they said Napoleon wandered into <laughs> Yeah, look, I don't know a lot about Napoleon's relationship. Wait, no. Yes, you do. I remember this now because it wasn't Napoleon. It was a general that people assumed was Napoleon because he was way more impressive than Napoleon. Yes. He was a black guy, wasn't he? Yes. It was General Dumas. He was Alexander, Alexander Dumas' Dumas. father. Yeah, that's right. Who was a six oh, foot ten cavalryman who was the leader of the conquering force of Napoleon's army that rolled into Egypt. And a lot of Egyptians who were not part of the ruling class were like, well, if this guy's in charge of the army, one, he's impressive, two, he's black, and three, he's not part of these people who are currently oppressing us. So sure, roll in, Sonny Jim. This Napoleon guy looks awesome. And then actual Napoleon showed up and these same people were like, I'm sorry, is Mr. Napoleon here? And he got so pissy about this, he tried to get Dumas demoted. It, it, he did not wander in. He fucking conquered the place. Yeah, that's... Wandered in is very, um... I mean, that's very deliberate phrasing. Yeah. That has been chosen to make it sound like there was, you know, there were no particular obstacles or anything. It was just there for the wandering. He just... You know, sort of ambled in there one day and was like, oh, you look in a bad state. I could help you out. Yeah. And then also you couple with the, the phrasing that the people they had forgotten. No, the people they didn't <laughs> tell him. Grotesque. But do you yeah. think Napoleon was there to listen to the people about their actual I'm, history? I'm sure that's what he was there for. Yep. Because from what I can tell, he plundered shit and put it in museums far away from them <sighs> because they didn't know better. This This is colonialist bullshit. And when that's your underpinnings of your whole movie, the whole thing lives behind the arc store. Yeah, you remember how we watched Tarzan and we were like, this is surprisingly good, considering how immensely racist the original Tarzan stuff yeah. is. Like, it was handled surprisingly tastefully. I'm sure it still could have used help, but, you know, they they avoided most of the Yikes traps. Uh, and if you were hoping that they might do the same thing, with an Age of Adventure story, knowing the kind of baggage that is inherently stable to this genre, to the point where even, like, the iconography and everything is, like, you know, you see a character in a pith helmet and you're like, ooh, ooh you tread carefully. Beware of these white people. <laughs> and, and if you thought that that meant this was going to be handled similarly thoughtfully, uh, you would be wrong. Yeah. This, it just is... Jumping straight on into the genre and being super uncritical about it. Which is a shame because it also has one of the most diverse casts we've ever seen in a Disney movie. Like, not only racially, but like, we've even got some like, old people and some heavily built people who aren't jokes. Mm -hmm. Well, one heavily built person who's not a joke. Yeah, but in this narrative, effectively, you have four women who are all meaningfully different to one another. And they're not all hot. No, in fact, one of them is the hot one, and the others are doing other things, which, which is astonishing. And, and like, don't get me wrong, I think it would be a, a immense act of cowardice on my part to pretend as if, you know, Kida is not meant to be hot, <laughs> or that uh, that uh, Claudia Christian's um, Helga is not meant to be hot. Helga, they're that's different her, kinds I, of hot. I had also forgotten her name. Helga is stupid in that way that only <laughs> this genre would do so blithely. Like, when she shows up in the Vavavoom sex dress with the Vavavoom sex music and remains that way for all of one scene, like, mm -hmm. why? Well, it's to get his attention, which why? I think does the job. Why, though? You could get his attention by just, like, standing in his house and going, hello, 
Realistically speaking, she could get his attention by walking past him on the street, grabbing him by his belt and hoisting him over her shoulder and walking off with him. Milo is a weenus. Also true. In fact, that scene would have been great if she just fucking kidnapped him. Claudia Christian apparently really liked the character of Helga. Uh, she remarked that it, she was really glad it came across this way with these multiple different types of the way the character behaved. And she said it would be a real shame if all the effort I put into the voice acting was coming out of, like, a toad. Which, you know, I can, I can appreciate, you know, her liking it. A toad? A toad. She's like, a frog. She, she didn't want the character to be something like that. Why would she be a frog? Because that's what voice acting is often like. Where oh. your voice is coming oh, out of okay. something that isn't a person. You see, in animation, you can use the imagination... No, she give me a look. <laughs> anyway. Point is... That, um, it's just an odd comparison, but then again, I I made a joke when she was on screen of like, you know, oh, here's the sexy human, the human you're meant to want to fuck. Oh, wait, no, she she's actually is a human, it's not weird in this movie. Yeah. Of course, bringing up the fact that, like, it wouldn't be at all weird if there was a Disney and you were like, yep, that's the sexy toad, that's the toad you're meant to want to fuck. So, alright, I guess I have to give her, uh, give her her due for that observation. <sighs> on the other hand, I'm not giving Keita points for being another character who's like doing her own thing or whatever because she is fucking nothingy she well, is she barely exists you don't like pocahontas 2 this time it's pocahontas <laughs> i would have been entirely here for uh princess mononoke pocahontas but mm-hmm. uh that lasted for like five seconds yeah uh before she turned into like just a facilitator of milo's discovery and then turned into a MacGuffin to be fought over until the conclusion of the movie yeah, like, for, I have never seen a a girl in a Disney film fall so quickly from the height of punch to the gross fucker uh, to gets turned into an emotionless gem robot and has to be saved. She busts a guy in the fork. She does. When uh, she gets out of the water, she grabs a gun, cross presses a guy across his chest, hoists him over and knocks him down. Then she runs to the next guy and hits him in the fork so hard he bounces it is so unfair that she then loses that fight That's even as she gets shot at and dragged off the guy she goes in for another kick yeah she knows she's not gonna get shot for it yeah like all the elements are there for her but she will not get time to be a real character and it fucking sucks and they she doesn't get an arc, she doesn't really get to resolve her stuff. She's like, oh, I found out why my mom went away. Um, but, you know, there's nothing I can do. It doesn't change. I get no closure from it. And then there's this whole drummed up thing about her meeting the same fate, but then she just doesn't for no particular reason. And thus, I think we want to sidle in the Yikes door aside <laughs> to the animation and making section. Yeah, yeah, let's just keep on traveling, but we're not, I mean, we're just going to leave this thing open where yeah. it'll be a long journey through. Because, secretly, surprise, the animation and making section is also where I have my grand thesis. <laughs> this is all just a big lump. Yeah. Yeah. Much like this movie. Oh, what are we going to say about animation and making? You uh, can't half make two movies. <laughs> I mean... You definitely can if you're 2000s Disney. This movie had two really good, strong through lines. And both components were mostly made in separate silos away from one another somehow. Like test tubes. Like, I don't actually know the the actual development process. You're not saying this happened. You're just saying this is how it feels. Yeah. First half of the movie. Ray Harryhausen Adventures. Can we make the... Can we, can we capture the spirit of claymation robot monsters underwater fighting? There, there were storyboards for three different undersea encounters with multiple different opportunities to fight. You're going to see the mechanic girl workshop up shit together on the fly. Oh my god, she might do some things. You were going to see every character get to do multiple things. Yeah. And all of that got cut down to just the one underwater fight with the least interesting of the three monsters. One of them was a steampunk kraken with tentacles that were going to pulse and bulge as air went through them. Anyway. The- it's, uh, I, I, I put a pin in this earlier with too many characters, but I mean, this is why it has too many characters specifically. Yeah. Because this film is trying to do so fucking much 
We get introduced to this cast at lightning fucking speed. They sit down and talk their backstories They give you a dossier. (sighs) They introduce them all to you with their one character trait and their one job. And then later on, they have the campfire scene where, yeah, they all sit around and give their backstories. Yeah. In case we haven't gotten to like them just based on their comedy lines yet. By the way, Vinny, most of his scenes, most of his dialogue, improvised. He's a lot of fun. He's great. Um, similarly, the voice actor for scenes, sorry, the, similarly, the voice actor for Sweet, uh, Phil Morris. Phil Morris talked about how, how it was fun to do the character, and when he did the vocal performances, the animators went, listened to it, and they said, alright, we have to speed up everything we're doing, because this character just explodes in these moments. (laughs) Then he's very calm, and then he has these explosions of of movement and energy, so we need to make him so he's always got this, like, high energy, in control serious and somber when he's serious and somber but then most of the time he's playing around and all of those elements like there's so much stuff here that could be so good this more than anything we've seen uh should have been a series like we've seen some disney movies where we're like boy did they have to stretch out a whole lot of nothing to fit 80 odd minutes of movie uh and this for once is the opposite they just they tried to cram way too much in which is why we get this amazing fucking submarine as as our opening, uh, you know, idea. Uh, like our first, like, wow, holy shit moment is seeing this stupid uh, fucking Nautilus thing uh, stretch out before us. And it was on all the posters and shit. Like, this is, is what they used to get people excited for and communicate the idea of what would be going on in this movie. But it's over within, like, the first third of the movie like that thing gets smashed almost immediately most of our crew fucking dies horribly it's just you can feel the cuts there is a sequence in this movie where they do a slow pan upward to show you the submarine as characters speak introducing it and i bring this up with this somber tone because it's the same structure of scene as David Ogden-Steer is saying, see now the innocent blood you have spilled on the steps of Notre Dame. They introduced this submarine like Hunchback introduced yeah. Notre Dame. You know what? Yeah, you expect that it's going to be a character. Yeah. They set it up as home. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you expect out of the story because that's how submarine voyages work. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets fucking smashed and it's not a moment with emotional gravitas either. Like... And I mean, part of that is because we haven't had any time to settle in. We, like, boom, boom, Milo's on there. He's meeting all the wacky characters. He's giving them a talk about how the Leviathan exists. Well, the Leviathan's here right now. It's killing everyone. Hey, everything is smashed and we're out of the water now. And it's within the space of, like, ten fucking minutes. It's so fast. It legitimately is about ten minutes. (laughs) The other half movie that got made is essentially The Little Mermaid and Pocahontas rolled together so like kita had a whole movie at one point except because of the way they structured it in this making we never see her in a life we never deal with her perspective the closest we get is the conversation she has with her father about milo about milo yep and this white man can help us it is it is so it is so sad i i said when we watched black cauldron that i loved the movie that it wanted to be this movie wants to be about a badass <laughs> princess who wants to dig into the mysteries of her own culture that have been lost to time and that have taken from her sometimes the ultimate things in her life and uh, a culture that has indeed lost its own identity like say white people have and all of that with this deeply sonorous sad narrative alongside a wonderful Harryhausen adventure story of people from outside coming to terms with the fact that there are mysteries bigger than they ever imagined and that somewhere out there in the world there's an amazing thing waiting to be known and you can mix these things together if you are brilliant. If you are (laughs) Terry Pratchett, you did it! But they couldn't and they didn't and what we get is this. It really burns my tits how easy it would have been to make you this stuff work too like if you just yeah. take out the longevity you yeah. lose nothing 
except that she remembers her mother going away during the disaster. And that turns out to not really be important. I feel like the only reason they needed to keep that is is to give her some need that Milo has to help with. The the immortality thing and the disappearance of her mother is it's extra funny because if you get rid of that and just move the timeline of losing her mother to say, oh, I don't know, 16 years ago, you suddenly have fixed a problem the movie has, which is where did these robots with the giant orb uh, uh, shield come from? Oh, oh, like the, the giant robots that we show my mum activating 16 years ago in a flashback, not 8,000 years ago creating Atlantis in the first place. Yeah, it was just that they needed to have it be the calamity in instead of, you know, a threat we might have faced since then. But if you just have it get ruined at the time, and, you know, most of the population is gone, maybe most of the survivors are really young, perhaps. So they've had to rebuild this whole thing without having the benefit of people who were fully informed about everything. Or go full bullshit. He brings up the Tower of Babel. Use magic. Same magic wiped out their ability to read. Give us a culture of neurodivergent dyslexics. Just, just anything more than, well, guess none of us remembered how to read. I mean, you don't even need stupid magic, though. <coughs> you just, all you have to do is be willing to actually wreck the shit in the first place, and then it makes a ton of sense why they don't know how to control or use anything anymore. Unless yep. you decide that they have to have been alive since then, which is the dumbest choice you could have made. And, and like, there's a lot of stuff here which can feel very Hamlet and Hang Gliders, where I we, we've we've tried to be like, well, no, you know, this story is not that kind of story. Hey, this is a bit of a, but we forgave this movie for a lot of stuff. They had fucking cartoon lava that you can just walk right next to yeah. without your skin fucking melting because if you don't touch it directly, it doesn't fucking count. But that's my point. Like in the metaphor of this movie, in the language of this movie space. Like, we didn't go, well, Kronk couldn't possibly fly with wings that flimsy <laughs> and on a backpack, no less. No, that doesn't matter. I mean, I made fun of them for suddenly having, like, six biplanes stashed in one of their vehicles and they were here the whole time. But I'm not complaining about that now. That's not what makes this movie kind of suck. Yeah. That's just... <laughs> That's dumb, but alright, whatever, it means we get aerial fight scenes. <laughs> I don't care. I do care when you use these tropes carelessly, when you perpetuate the the dumb race shit and, and the dumb colonial shit, uh, and I care when it means that we get your, your Disney princess for this movie being basically a non-character. I care what you use the tropes to support. I will forgive you if you're just using them to have a good time and not causing any harm. But the way they're used in this is some shit. You know what? I love a lot of these characters. I want them to have gotten a better movie. Yeah. That, that's it. Absolutely. Almost everybody here is likable uh, in some way. I don't like the cook. He sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the cook. Woo! I feel like if there were more conversations with this cook, eventually... Uh, he'd be the kind of person who would say some Confederate shit, and you'd have to be like, "Well, I'm out." Yeah, he he he, um, he and Sweet almost certainly had a conversation <laughs> at some point. Um, and it probably didn't go well for Cook. Since we are technically in the animation making section, but really, it's all oh, just a mess. That's at this right. Point. We're supposed to be talking about how this looks and shit. Um, everybody's weird and angular. And I remember people. Compl I remember people complaining at the time that it looked anime which i can only assume was said by people who never watched any fucking anime because <laughs> just make everything more angular is what stupid people think anime looks like maybe thought remember this is 20 years old yeah oh but well, you wouldn't you generally wouldn't get people saying something like that these days because anime is so fucking ubiquitous that everyone knows what it looks like now yeah um the thing i was about to finish saying about cookie is that he was voiced by jim varney the voice actor in behind the character of Ernest, who did a whole bunch of kids specials. And it's kind of maddening, because if you know anything about the particular type of comedy Varney did, Varney was really good at it. Yeah, okay. And uh, Cook comes across as a super creep, and Varney died before the movie was finished being made. So a bunch of his lines are someone else doing a mm. Varney impersonation. Yeah, that's a bummer. But yeah, um... It does explain why he doesn't ever get anything but, like... Yeah. He, he's, 
he and Cigarette Hag are yeah. our two, like, completely one-note characters. Everyone else gets, like, a little bit of development, um, and, and you know, some... They show more than one facet to their personality, but those two characters are just jokes. Yeah. Like, we could stand to lose them the most, even more than Mole. And, uh, yeah, uh, as far as the animation and, and whatnot goes in this movie, when this movie wants to look good, it looks fucking incredible. <laughs> and there's a beautiful visual imagination. You know, how how do the Atlanteans, with their mix of high-tech and, and low-tech, get by? Well, you know, they... They make fireflies and weaponize those. That's fucking cool. Yeah, there's some cool shit going on. And Dog fighting with a fish. Actually had lost a, a bunch of their culture for reasons that made sense. It would be cool to see them, like, making these ruins work in new and different ways. But yeah. Instead, I just can't look at it without being really mad about the stupid justification. Uh, the characters have consistent stylization. I don't like it. I wish everyone was less square. <laughs> I just can't handle it. Except everyone Mole. is so square. Uh, yeah, okay, except him. He's very round with one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mostly Helga. Like, Helga's face is all over the dang place. When she looks at the camera front on and then they have her turn, just her nose and lips do weird things and it's really unfortunate. I can't stop focusing on it when she's on screen. Yeah. Um, I feel like this movie is a good example of taking Squish and Stretch too fucking far. (laughs) Like, it is necessary to use it in good animation. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not one of these douchebags who, like, picks a freeze frame from a a game uh, and is like, Ooh, look, they look all weird and distorted in this frame because I don't fucking know how animation works. (laughs) And I think it's about representing reality. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that Milo just becomes rubber when they try to have him express strong emotions, and it does not work well. He is too rubbery. He is too cartoony. It's not good. Yeah. Does not land effectively. What I find interesting by comparison to the consistently stylized characters is the really inconsistently stylized backgrounds. I don't know if you noticed any of this, but we get some really interesting variants in that. The opening shots of Atlantis with the, the clouds and the bright sky and everything, we get this weird, sparsely shaded, uh, sort of simple shape. Uh, it, it looks like another world. It looks like some fucking Eric Jahi yeah. art. Um, and it's so different to what we get when we're in the caverns and stuff, which is a much more just like typical, beautifully painted Disney background. Uh, not like, photorealistic, but not particularly stylized. Uh, and and I I looked for that again to see if there was, like, a consistency in when we switched between these styles, but I just couldn't really find anything, so it just sort of became, like, was this part of the storytelling from the past kind of thing? Is that just how a bright exterior looks in this movie? Because we really only see that one time. Uh, it, it's very curious to me. <laughs> It looks cool, though. I would have loved to see more of the backgrounds done that way. Yeah. It's very neat. Or maybe as a style that belonged to Atlantis itself, uh, and it would affect it uh, when we're in there later, even when it's inside. Uh, uh, CG integration, definitely noticeable. Um, not really objectionable. I do think they missed a trick, because CG is like smoother than the frame rates of their drawn stuff. Um and wouldn't it have been kind of cool if they'd cut down the frame rate to be a little claymation-ish? Wouldn't that have been cool? <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> anyway, uh, to, I guess, like I said, we're going to be in a fight. Uh, genuinely, I think that this, when, when this movie is trying to look good, it looks fucking amazing. I think that the backgrounds consistently look good. I never noticed them looking bad. I'm not saying that you're Oh, wrong. no, I didn't say they look bad. <laughs> I said they look different. Like, that we had distinct stylistic differences. Not okay. bad at all. Not bad at all. All right, then. Uh, yeah, well, I think I said it best in the first sentence, but to just reiterate, if you give someone half a story and another half of a story, you haven't given them a whole story. You've given them two messes. <laughs> oh, but Talon... You're forgetting Ichabod and Mr. Toad. <laughs> Two quarter stories. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. That's a that's a fitting send off. All right. <laughs> and now, 
Whateverland! You got any? Yes. Cool. The language of Atlantean is an actual conlang. Oh. Yep. It, it's legit. You can write in it. The DVD extras have an entire primer on how to speak the language and the way that the grammar is structured. And it's made by the same guy who made Klingon. Wow. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I did not expect anything so in-depth for this, I have to say. Uh, and it's modelled on what we, at the time, understood of a language system known as Proto-Indo-European. <laughs> I think I can infer what that might be. Yeah, it's it's pretty important. Uh, how much worse is the Little Mermaid if the focus is Eric? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, that's not fair. Eric's got nothing going on. Milo's got a lot going on. It's just not interesting, and it doesn't make him likable. The villain states that it would be better to return all of the stolen artifacts from museums to the cultures around them if Milo's morality was consistent and, uh, based, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad they they put, like, I mean, he's saying it in a mocking fashion. So I'm really glad that that came out of the mouth of a villain, at least, because (laughs) if, if they had had someone who wasn't supposed to be evil... Uh, uh, bring that up, I think I would have fucking lost it. <laughs> like, yes! 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 In the same way that the narrative's structure of what a native population looks like is modelled on an American vision of that, the idea of a mythology is still filtered through Christianity. It is still a Christian faith. It still has things like a human sacrifice transubstantiated up into heaven, it has the idea of the flood. They refer to it as the flood. They were an island. <laughs> when an island gets covered in water, they don't call it flooding in those local languages because it's things like a wave or a tsunami or we don't have a word for this because it doesn't fucking happen. The flooding is a thing that happens in places where it is predominantly land, surrounded by land, and water that yeah. isn't meant to be there gets there. The idea that they would refer to it as the Great Flood, that's a creationism term. Similarly, what's the phrase that the god spirit uses to reassure Milo? Uh, all will be well? Be not afraid. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty straightforward. Right, and and in the same way you got your kind of Babel angle of- He mentions the Tower of Babel as if it's a historical event. Well, and also the the whole hubris thing, which they, like, it's part of the myth. Um, and the king sort of seems to validate it later, but we don't get an explanation of... We, we don't get any further details on that. He's just like, oh, I tried to use it as a weapon. Like, is Against that what whom? we saw? Because it looked like there was a massive flood, and that doesn't seem like something that you sought to... That doesn't read as you seeking to use the god spirit fucking earth core materia whatever as a weapon was that something else was that not the calamity is are you saying it wasn't a hubris metaphor thing i don't know i i feel like almost like there were two half movies (laughs) mashed together almost like there were point is that in their attempt to represent a culture that wasn't anything like a european culture a bunch of white people who dreamt up Native <laughs> Americans, and in the same way that they tried to dream up a non, uh, non-European, non-Christian culture, all they did was just photocopy it. It's it's an example of how Disney, for all that they are, meant, well, that they really are the best in their business at the thing that they do, are still capable of just some hack shit. Oh, that reminds me. I didn't drag them enough for the bullshit attitude behind this movie, where like you know, no songs ranting. And yeah, like, this is. This film deliberately codified the, basically, you know, musicals are for fucking girls. Yeah. And we're going to do proper good, exciting movies again. I want Atlantis the Musical with my Harryhausen monsters. You know, if it had been a Keita movie, she would have sung some fucking songs. She would have had to. Yeah. And at least one of them would have featured a line about cutting someone. (laughs) I like the one Milo didn't come back. They at least had Audrey take care of his cat. Yeah. That's... That's nice. Yeah. Because if you could just go off and abandon your pet forever, I like you even less than I already liked you. <laughs> you're on thin fucking ice. <laughs> uh, shout out to David Odgen Steers again. Oh, yes. One of our favorite voices. Did you catch any Frank Welker in this one? No. I didn't check. No, I did in fact look through the voice cast and couldn't find <laughs> Welker. Ah, there you go. Uh, see, that's why it wasn't any good. You're going to have a Frank Welker? Yeah. 
It, a David Ogden steals alone is not enough. Uh, I, I think I touched upon this earlier, but like, Kita just comes back. Yeah. From being transubstant, like, big deal about, you know, oh no, it consumed her mother and I, the same terrible fate befalling my daughter. Sad, 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 sad. And then just, it's fine. It's fine. It's not even like a, you know, everything is good and well, but she couldn't come back to us and we have to make like a heartfelt plea for the emotionless super being to, to let us have her back as a person because we love her. Nope. She just came back. It's fine. It wasn't a problem, it turns out. It was fine. In was this regard, fine. it continues to replicate the Christian myth where they make a big deal of what a sacrifice it was for Jesus <laughs> to do what he did, when in reality, he basically had a rough weekend. <laughs> oh. Also, I fucking hate how Helga goes out. That sucks. Yeah. Like, we also barely get to see her do anything. And you think we're in for a good fight mm-hmm. when she refuses to just get thrown off the edge and comes back to fight. But then it goes for three seconds and she goes down anyway. And like, don't get me wrong, she gets very good for hate's sake. I cast my last breath at thee. But, you know, she deserved a lot better. Just show her alive at the end. Yeah. Just, just show her being carried off to prison or something. I don't think we needed to see her die, no. And like, especially, uh, you know, since it reinforces the whole bad girls die. Uh huh. Like, is sexy in the good way, the wholesome way, the non sexy way. <laughs> Helga knows she's sexy, therefore she will die. We saw her disintegrating skeleton in this movie. Oh god, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, fuck me, this movie has a body count. Yeah. They, I think they offhandedly say there were like 200 people yeah. on board the submarine at first, so there we, get, we have like 15 of them left after They're the first dead. 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> They, they fucking die. And then we lose even more. We just uh, see crafts getting smashed left, right, and center. And yeah, one guy who... It's only for a split second, but I'm pretty sure we see a disintegrating skeleton. Sweet references doing medical work on San Juan Hill. That's actually a, a super interesting deep cut. Because, yeah, black conscripted soldiers were at San Juan Hill. And the military made a point of pretending there weren't black people at San Juan Hill. And it was all heroic white people in the Spanish, Spanish-American Spanish War. Uh, which which just, like, it's it's really interesting to me that they got this, like, detail correct. Of, like, no, there absolutely were black people there. Sweet continues to be just the most interesting part of this film, <laughs> Why to is be he honest. not the main character? Yeah. <laughs> we needed a nerdy white guy who looked like 17-year-old Talon. Ugh. Only less cute. <laughs> Definitely less cute. Darn, we're going to do better in that. Better than that on the next movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, for now, I, I think we're done. Well, shall we put a bow on this by revealing the greatest of deep sea monsters, capitalism? Oh, sorry, I forgot. That's what we were here for, the money. <laughs> All right, what do you reckon the budget was? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, too much money. <laughs> now, remember, the way we handle this isn't I expect you to hit the number. I just want to hear how much more or less <laughs> than the previous movie you think. And we've had some weird ones. We have had some weird ones. Well, uh, I mean, it's all bets are kind of off for this one because Emperor's New Groove had a wildly inflated budget by being yeah. <laughs> made and remade, effectively, yeah. <laughs> a couple of times. Um, but, like, this feels like it had money in it, right? They were doing some... Uh, creative shit. Uh... <laughs> He's laughing at me in that way that says I might be wrong. Do you want to just pull off the band-aid? Uh, I, th- I think it must have cost more. It did cost more, yeah. but we don't know how much more. Oh no, that's never a good sign. Because irregular budget accounting means that this movie's budget has been priced by Disney somewhere between... 90 and 120 million. That's not actually that expensive. They're not sure where 30 million dollars went, Fox. That is, I mean, I don't know about you, but what did you call it? Non-standard accounting? Yeah. Certainly sounds to me like somebody stole some shit. (laughs) Well, it sounds to me like two different movies were being made and then got jammed together. Oh, well. That evidence may support your theory. It is, at a high-end estimate, 26 million more than Emperor's New Groove. And Emperor's New Groove was a shit show. It was a, well, I mean, this was a shit show. (laughs) Funny we should talk about this after Emperor's New Groove, which had a lot of the same problems. 
It's just that the end product we got out of that was Looney Tunes. Um, but, like, same identity crisis, basically. Just mm-hmm. manifesting in wildly different ways. And returns. How much more do you reckon it got? Or less than it got? <laughs> okay, I'm sure it made more than Emperor's New Groove. Because mm-hmm. Emperor's New Groove was not popular. <laughs> no. At all. And I feel like people wanted to like this. Like, people saw the poster for Emperor's New Groove and went, nah, I reckon I'll give it a miss. But people went and saw this. It looked good. Mm-hmm. It, it was exciting. It, it seemed like a cool theaters. thing. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, it wasn't, I recall the reaction to this being kind of a sad sigh rather than outrage. Like, I feel like people wanted this to be good and therefore gave it a chance, and therefore it probably still made pretty decent money on ticket sales. This movie made $186 million at the box office. Ooh. Which is only 17 more than Emperor's New Group. <sighs> that's not good. But now, Your Honor. I mean, that's not good for a Disney. I present corroborating evidence, or um, ameliorating evidence, or whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. Two other movies opened up the same weekend. Oh, what was happening in 2001? What was happening in 2001, Fox? What was happening in 2001? Possibly something that an animation nerd would really have paid attention to. Now I'm really... (sighs) Something that an animation nerd would have paid attention to? Like a real landmark moment. Oh, fuck me. Hang on, no. Wait, Mononoke? Somebody wants... Oh, Shrek. No, I'm a couple of years out of date. Yeah. Shrek was the same weekend. God, Shrek is so much earlier than my brain wants to position it. Yeah, DreamWorks basically said we are going to try and own this house of 3D animated family movies. That also puts this the same year as Bugs Life and Ants? Yes. Right, so there was a lot of animated shit going on at this point. But that wasn't the only thing they were scared of eating this thing's profits. Right, because there You're was... You're not going to guess this one. No? <laughs> You're not going to guess this no? one. No? <laughs> Does that mean we're not in Star Wars prequel territory yet? No, this was not opened up on the same weekend as a Star Wars prequel. It opened up on the same weekend as Shrek and Tomb Raider, which they were very concerned would eat into the older teen audience. I guess so. (laughs) Ride a bike, look at some titties. Yep. So. I'd much rather look at the cartoon titties in here than the fake titties in Tomb Raider, I gotta say. It, It is a... Bad weekend, marketing-wise, to have all this happen, alright? Let's let's just not get... Like, we can argue it all we want about the post-fact impact of Shrek, but we can all agree that at the time, in 2001, we apparently had enough bad taste that Shrek fucking slapped. <laughs> like, it had an I, amazingly good weekend. Yeah, I mean, the, the post-cultural impact of Shrek is that everyone still thinks it's great. Yep. Like, it's... Okay. Uh, Shrek is like an Alan Moore... Fucking Watchmen kind of thing, right? You can do it once. The work itself is kind of unimpeachable. The trend that it started is kind of unspeakable. But, like, you can't argue with the source material. That's why the trend happened. Anyway, uh, turns out those concerns were well-founded because, yeah, sure, it got outperformed by Shrek. It also got outperformed by Tomb Raider. The critics were not kind to it, beating it up for, quote, an incoherent plot and a lack of character development. Yeah. Characters remain static from the moment they appeared to the moment the movie ended. I mean, that's not really true, uh, because almost every character gets one pivot, Mm -hmm. the exact same pivot, but, you know. But we're not done. There's one, there's one more wonderful fight to pick, and you've touched on the edges of it a couple of times here. What, what is this fight about? Criticism was drawn about the comparisons between this movie and a TV series. Oh. What can you tell me about Nadia of the Blue Water? Oh, right, of course. Um, well, look, not a lot, except that it has a magical princess from a lost culture with a magical crystal necklace who is gonna hang out with a bunch of uh, well, not white people. People of the dominant local culture that <laughs> the media is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they get in their big submarine and, and go off to probably save her homeland. I've only seen a couple of episodes. Yeah. I'm just very familiar with the design. Now, normally, in the West, this happens. Someone from one culture draws a comparison between an anime 
and another animated movie, and then we're like, oh yeah, they should sue, rah, rah, rah. And if you're in the right circle of idiots, they're like, oh yeah, I heard they did sue, rah, rah, rah. And of course, it never fucking happened. It turns out people don't understand that the line between you can sue for this and you can't sue for this isn't based on... It's pretty similar. There's a lot of the same tropes. Anyway, so one of the lead developers at Gainax said, oh yeah, we wanted to sue. (laughs) Oh, that's kind of neat. You want to know why they didn't sue? Uh, Because Disney has a bajillion dollars and Gainax has... Some money. Gynax has whatever they were able to shake out of the couch made out of Oscar pillows that day. No, it- Well, I mean, this is 2001, so they're not too far out of Evangelion, which means they might still be in pretty dire straits financially. They're making movies at that point. But the, uh, the real thing is that at that point, Gynax were owned by Toho. And Toho does not want to pick a fight with Disney. Oh, I see. Because guess who's distributing Toho films like Godzilla in the West? Yeah, okay. <laughs> But Gynax sat around and was like, hey, can we can we sue Disney? Is this a thing we can do? Um, there were also complaints made about the comparison between uh, this and Laputa, but no, there's no sources in Japan that have seemed to find any kind of like proof that anyone at, at Studio Ghibli gave a shit. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of similarity between this and Laputa outside of the fact that they both observe a pretty common formula of what if there was a lost civilization and some people who were looking for it were pure and good-hearted and some people who were looking for it were assholes like this is not a difficult story beat to happen upon this is not carcinization you know yeah it it, it's just uh it's just one of those interesting trends and i was shocked to find that gynax actually did think about lacing up i'm kind of impressed by that to be honest like (laughs) gutsy move (laughs) And, like, maybe there's a lot more similarity if you've seen all of Nadia. I've, I've seen the opening two episodes, and that's all. Like, I know enough to know the princess and go, ooh, yeah, I see what you mean. And the submarine. Yeah. But that's about it. But, yeah, so there you go. Well, yeah. Atlantis got rid of their submarine in, like, ten minutes. It's hardly counts. Yeah. Hardly counts. And I, I would never have guessed that Atlantis <laughs> was scared of losing market share to Tomb Raider. Oh. <laughs> and that they were right to be. Yeah. Oh, that's fucked up. It just goes to show how stupid people were about Tomb Raider at the time. Like, we all knew that was going to be a terrible movie, didn't we? Didn't we? And this is when the prevailing wisdom was, there will probably never be a good video game movie. Yeah. Ignoring all the good ones that had already been made in Japan. Anyway. <laughs> so, with that, we oh. move out of one of the other, like, again, this was interesting. This was actually fun to talk about. I don't think I've ever been more disappointed yes. by a Disney movie just because what it could have been yeah. would have been so cool. We, we have had a couple of times where we had to look at the movie and go, what you would have been would be great. And uh, this is this is definitely, like, if you lined them all up for me, I would probably have picked this one as my favorite of them. Like, this, the, the movie this one wants to be is full of stuff I love. <laughs> I'm trying to think of contenders now. Oh, we'll save that for the recap. Mm-hmm. That'll be a good lens. And next, next we continue the trend of uh, of Disney just throwing their history down the toilet and making things that really make the traditionalists unhappy. And also, probably my favorite film they've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I was wondering where the Treasure Planet was next, or if it was Lilo and Stitch time. 